Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny SD. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 87 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here today with Taylor West and Stephanie Simon from Austin, Yeehaw, Texas. <laughs> Yeehaw. <laughs> welcome, you two. Thanks. Thank Glad you. to be here. Yep. Yeah, so we are here in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Uh, how long have you been here? Uh, going on a month. Okay, yep. Nice. What do you think so far? I love it. It's uh, really nice. It, we could we could call this home. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, really, it's cool. a really accommodating city for nomads. So just and coming from Austin, which is similar to that, um, it's it's it just feels yeah. it was an easy transition. A hundred percent. So in today's episode, I do want to talk a little bit about Austin, the scene versus Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of similar similarities, kind of what's the pros and cons of each. Uh, I also want to get, talk a little bit about business. You guys used to uh, work for some kind of funny <laughs> uh, companies and then now you guys are freelancing and doing really well with that mm-hmm. so let's start with um some background why were you, were you guys born and raised in, in austin or yeah no you want to yeah i'll start uh, so i was well i was born in panama but i'm very american i like grew up in the u.s my entire life um i'm from the midwest chicago and i moved to austin texas about three years ago mm-hmm. and that's how i met taylor Yep, it was actually when I was working, I was still working in the affiliate marketing world, and uh, we had mutual friends in that space, so that's how we met. I got to Austin about seven years ago, um, implanted from, I I say San Diego, I was in San Diego for about six years prior, but I actually directly came from Seattle. I was born in Washington State, and I spent a little bit of time in Seattle before I came to Austin, so that's where I came from. Why'd you go to Austin? Um, it's kind of a long story. I, I met a girl while I was in Seattle for the short time I was there and we had a kid together okay. and, uh, her whole family was in Texas and they, at the time they were in Houston. And by the time we decided to make the trip down to Texas, they had moved to Austin. So we decided to go to Austin. We visited there first to see if we liked it mm-hmm. and loved it, fell in love with it immediately. So moved there and I can see why. I, yeah. I've only been to Austin for, I think, maybe a three-week trip. It wasn't super long, but it was mm-hmm. enough time where I knew I really liked it. Yeah. And if I if I had to move back to the U.S. right now, I would move to Austin. Yeah. Oh, I think you would, you know. Along with everybody else. Yeah, you've built such a great <laughs> scene here in Chiang Mai. It's obvious that this feels comfortable to you. If you like Chiang Mai, then you'll love Austin. I mean, Austin yeah. is like the, the twangy, like, southern, like, version of Chiang Mai, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but... Um, yeah, I actually, I picked Austin because it's also, in case anyone's wondering, one of the top five cities in the entire country for being single. Mm. And so when I moved there, I was single and I thought, yeah, meet some Southern boys, whatever. But <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's a great party, party town, very so, lively. So instead you met this guy from I don't know, I met this guy <laughs> from Seattle. <laughs> Technically, I'm from Spokane, but okay. I came down from Seattle. <laughs> well, that's actually, it's funny, is uh, in San Francisco, it's probably one of the worst places to be single for a man, at least. For a man, yeah. Mm-hmm. And But you know yeah. what? All the women I've met from, that have lived in San Francisco, uh, they didn't really enjoy the dating scene. Mm. I think it's because even though the guys are rich and they're very smart, a lot of them just weren't very... Um, they're douchebags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they won't, yeah. Or they just, just you know, kidding. 
they were too into tech and too into startups, too maybe even too into themselves, mm. and not as much into like I don't know. Let's say being just being like a manly, passionate yeah. you know guy. Maybe a little yeah. too much ego. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Austin is is probably a good place to actually be kind of more level-headed. Well, it's a really relaxed environment. It's kind of slow like Chiang Mai. Uh, You know, life doesn't move very quickly. People just sort of sit around. It's hot. I don't know if that's why, because it's also hot like Chiang Mai. (laughs) Very hot. So because of that, you know, it just... It actually drove me People lounge around. You know, here it's like everyone drinks their their Thai teas. And in in Austin, it's... it's, We have sweet tea. Mm. So it's like very similar. There's so many similarities. You just kind of lounge around. You do work in cafes. Most people also work from their laptops, um, although there, there are a lot of offices. Like a lot of great companies have, have moved their headquarters, or not headquarters, but they have great offices in, yeah. in Austin too. Yeah, that slow lifestyle kind of drove me crazy when I first moved to Austin. I, you know, I had spent so much time in Southern California, and everybody drives over the speed limit, and they have somewhere to go, somewhere to be, some, someone to see. Um, when you go to like a business meeting as an entrepreneur, or like an investment meeting or something, everybody dresses nice. and. It's very businesslike, you know, and uh, you get to Austin and everybody drives 10 miles under the speed limit mm-hmm. and t- 10 miles an hour under the speed limit and the traffic is horrible and, <laughs> you know, there's so many people moving there and not enough, like, freeway lanes and, you know, good transportation there. And so you're saying that Austin's good for, like, tech startups, but yeah. what about, like, just the digital nomad, the solopreneur, someone who's just, you know, work for themselves? Yeah, so the, the cafe scene per capita is more dense here in Chiang Mai than it is in Austin. Uh, so if that's something that's really important to you, like if you want to have, uh, if you love how you walk a block in Chiang Mai and you find three cafes, you're not necessarily going to find that in Austin. Uh, we do have a great caffeine but uh, we, cafe scene there. Yeah, they're great. They're just a little bit more sparse and spread out. Um, that being said, though, it's, I mean, it's still very, the co-working space, there are more co-working spaces in Austin. And um, they're fantastic. One of them is called WeWork. And Capital Factory. Yeah, it's and the they're big, just... Capital Factory is the, the really hub. big one. And they're, like, very, very, very well supported. I mean, there's, like, a roster of... Every month, there's, like, 40 or 50 or 60 events that you can go to that are being sponsored by, like, big companies. Like, really famous people come in all the time. It's, you know, if you're really into co-working scenes, like, the co-working scene there is great. Mm, that's cool. So what are these events like? Um, so they're, they're kind of educational, like the, the coffee club, the Nomad Coffee Club here in Chiang Mai. Um, but I think they're, they're, uh, hundreds of those types yeah. of events in Austin. There's, yeah, there's everything like, from like Ruby developers, Java, every kind of developer that you can imagine has, has its own dedicated meetup. And then even like once a year, they have something called a web bash. Um, it's just before Christmas and it's held at one of these downtown bars and it completely takes over the whole place. It's like over a thousand people go to this thing. And it's basically a, a combination of all of the web development and tech meetups that are in town. They all come together for like a holiday party. Mm. And it's just insane. It's like open bar for two hours. And, but, you know, it's like um, if you're into tech startups, funded or bootstrapped, um, entrepreneurship, I would say Austin has the edge. Um, there's just more there. It's yeah, like there the, is it's, more. Yeah, yeah, it's like the next Silicon Valley there. Mm-hmm. But if you're like a solopreneur or trying to bootstrap and get your company off the ground or something like that, I was actually going to write a blog post soon about mm-hmm. Austin versus Chiang Mai and why you should move your startup to Chiang Mai. Because it just doesn't make sense to pay the kind of prices that you do for the support system in Austin when you could start your company in Chiang Mai, have almost all the same kind of feel of the community here, but have 
a, a tenth or less of the pricing for everything. I mean, for working, for living, you know, your whole team can live a lot cheaper. Um, it's just kind of amazing here for that. I would, I would love to start a company here. And then if it gets really big and you want to move it, move it back, you know, move it back to mm -hmm. America when you have the funding. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, okay, so for networking purposes, I think Austin is, it beats Chiang Mai, far, like, far, hands yeah. down. There's yeah. just, like, Taylor was touching on, the community is insane. I mean, like, whereas here I feel like there's the Thai locals and then there's this nomad community. A lot of people are either traveling or working for themselves. In Austin, I feel that everyone I come across is building something. They're building something that's supposed to change the world in that respective industry. Yeah. But let me ask you this. How many of them are building non-profitable companies that are just in hopes to, to get acquired? Yeah, it's kind of like going to New York and wanting to be an actor. Like, I feel like everyone wants or, you know, everyone has this dream and they're hoping that their startup is going to be the one that's going to get funded and, you know, be the next big thing. Or get acquired. Yeah, yeah, or get acquired or something like that. How many of them actually end up succeeding at that? Um, I think there's actually a decent percentage, but no, not everybody, of course. That being said, everyone's on a mission. Like, you know, you're all in it together. And so... Uh, you know, it's great if you if you are trying to build like a, a bigger company for networking mm -hmm. purposes. But if you're trying to cut costs, I think you can develop a great support system here in Chiang Mai. So if everyone is you know has their own like dream and mission, are mm -hmm. they very supportive to like help each other, or are they a little bit more secretive? And mm -hmm. I think I think in Austin, it's not. I, I haven't really spent a lot of time in the San Francisco tech scene, uh, to be honest, so I can't speak from experience, but from the friends that I have and the startup uh, guys that I know in Austin, I know that San Francisco is a lot more like that, you know? Uh, Austin is very open and supportive for the most part. Um, if you want to meet somebody that that you think could benefit your, your startup in some way, um, you can do that. I mean, there's, you can meet the CEOs of some of the biggest companies in Austin. They don't hide, you know, like mm -hmm. they're, they're out with everybody else and well, it's a very relaxed. They're usually young. Yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. usually our age. I mean, some of these CEOs that are incredibly million dollar companies, they're like our age and they'll, they'll be wearing like, you know, a band t-shirt and like shorts and they'll be drinking at the local bar. And the thing is, is you would normally have no idea. I mean, that's another thing about Austin. Like I feel like in San Francisco, California and stuff like that. I don't know this for a fact. I don't, so I haven't experienced that, but like it's really casual. You can't tell who's got a ton of money and who doesn't, yeah. <laughs> who's the CEO and who isn't. Everybody looks like each other. You know, it's very casual. Yeah, it's a very support. To answer your question, it's very supportive in Austin. Yeah. Like, if you need help, you can find help in almost any respect. If you need money, you can find people to connect you to money. Mm -hmm. If you need, the only thing that's really hard anywhere right now over there in in the U.S. is developers. Like. If you need developers, good luck. <laughs> they're there, but you got to convince them to work for you or ditch what they're doing because there's just a huge shortage. That know? makes sense. So yeah. this is a good time to learn how to code. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, there's a lot of really talented developers here in, in Thailand. There are. That was actually one of the things that I was going to say about that blog post that I was talking about, about Austin versus Chiang Mai when bootstrapping, is that I obviously I can't prove this. It's kind of a, just a gut feeling that I have. But from who I've rubbed shoulders with so far in the last month and the meetups that we've gone to and the people that we've met and the connections that we've made, I feel like if I, if I started another company tomorrow, I could find a developer the next day yeah. here in Chiang Mai. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Somebody would be on board with me. Either, yeah, yeah, either someone from somewhere in the, world, in the Western world or if you can find someone who speaks Thai, yeah. there are, you know, kind of, there are a lot of Thai developers that 
just they don't know how to get connected with um, kind mm-hmm. of like American companies. Actually, uh, there's a guy named uh, Christian. He's a, a guy from Poland, mm-hmm. super talented developer, like way smarter than my American friends. <laughs> uh, because and I know this because they ask him for help and and they don't know and how good he is. But he's working for Polish wages still. Oh, yeah. And we keep saying to him, wow. like, dude, just work for an American company. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, and he just doesn't know how to get connected. Yeah. So people like that, you guys can swoop up and be like, all right, you know what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you making Poland? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how many potatoes do you get an hour? Yeah. <laughs> Double it. Oh, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. I've met, we met a web developer a couple weeks ago that works out of, he's Irish and he works out of uh, Ho Chi Minh City usually for the last five years. And he doesn't make, you know, he doesn't make a ton of money. He would, he would go in on something with us, I'm sure, you know, and, and it's not, um, it, I think it's the difference in like why people are, are in the place that you're at. So like when you go to Austin, everybody's there in the community for the same reason. They're all starting something or wanting to work for somebody who's starting something and it's super competitive and the wages are really big and you know, it, it's just this, it's this competition, you know, whereas when you travel to a, a nomadic place like Chiang Mai, everybody's here traveling mm-hmm. And they're all freelancers doing their own thing. And so they have time or they have availability to jump on board with you if you have a great idea. You know, it's it's just, it's a totally different, like, reason for being here, right? And so that makes it available. That definitely makes yeah. sense. And yeah. I think on the, also on the flip side for that is, unfortunately, because most people's priority is traveling first mm-hmm. and then building or making money second, mm-hmm. it's also harder to get people where they're super dedicated. Yeah, that's because true. Because people... Might be dedicated for a month or two, and then they're like, "Oh, somebody's going down an island to go diving." Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see that being a big problem. No, that yeah. I was actually that's a point I was going to make. Yeah. Um, in Austin, you know, the city is it has a great community and structure, and so because of that, people are willing to camp out for however long it is. Like they're they'll live years and years in Austin, and they won't leave. Yeah. Uh, so if they get presented with an opportunity to build a startup that is going to require, like you know. Uh, double time, full full time schedules, you know, and they're just working 12, 15 hours a day or something like that uh, to chase this dream, they're willing to do that. And I do think that, I agree with you, Johnny, I think it would be way harder to get that in Chiang Mai because people here are solopreneurs for a reason. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as talented as they are, they've made a very uh, defined decision to not take that job offer with a company, a great company somewhere, even if it costs them you know, good health insurance and mm-hmm. a higher paycheck or whatever. They're willing to risk um, trying to do it on their own, uh, a little pro- like making some passive income on their own or hustling clients just so that they can have freedom. And that freedom yeah. is really, really important. Because that freedom is priceless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't put a money, uh, you can't put, put a, a price tag on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's also why so many big companies are starting to move towards distributed workforces. So if you're, uh, if you're a talented team leader, entrepreneur who can put together a team and make it work in a distributed style, then you might be able to attract some of these traveling developers and keep it together even if they travel around. You know, like WordPress, for instance, they don't have an office. I, I mean, they might have a small office, but I think over 90% plus of their workforce is all over the world. Mm-hmm. And they meet once a year for, you know, like a big party. But, um, you know, a lot of companies are going that way. And I think you could probably build something like that here if, if you went about it the right way, you know? I think there's a huge open potential in Chiang Mai to build communities. Yeah. So you guys spoke at my Nomad Coffee Meetup, mm-hmm. which has been going on every Friday for the last 
six weeks. It's getting big since we've been here. Yeah, oh, yeah it's, it's awesome. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. It, it, like literally from the very first week, we had I think twenty or thirty people show up. Yeah. And every week since then, the place has been so crowded that we can't. People can't sit standing room only yeah. every single yeah. week. Yeah. yeah. And I even try to kind of have like very specific topics, so not everyone will show up, but not everyone yeah. will be interested. But still, every week, like, there's still new people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's insane. Yeah, and all it took was making a Facebook group, <laughs> which got you know we got our first hundred members in like a week, uh-huh. yeah. just because you know people were checking by, they want to meet each other. They came, most people came here because they hear about this great community. Yeah, and then they're like, okay, well I'm here now. Where is everyone? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because everyone's yeah. working at different coffee shops. Yeah, you know, people are coming and going. So you might make like one or two friends here, and then. They leave and you're like, okay, now what? Exactly. Yeah. So by having this group, uh, it's it just kind of brings everyone together in person. Yeah. And I think people can do this for for web development or as you know for really really any kind of niche within this. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm as excited about the topics that that happen every week as I am about going out and having drinks and food with everybody afterwards. Cause yeah. like you said, it, you come to a new place like this and you want to connect like as fast as possible. If you know, there's a few exceptions. We have, we know a few people that are kind of hermits, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, and I agree. And, and everyone's trying to swap secrets, you know, like what, what's working for you and what can I borrow from your business and apply it to my own? You know, we're all chasing the same dream. Our dream is a little different than the Austin dream. Our dream here is to have the freedom to travel anyone that's coming to Chiang Mai for the most part that's not a Thai person is is they're, they're they just want to travel so however we, that we can support each other in that capacity mm-hmm. is great well we always want we always preach like learning from the best or learning from the people that that are living the kind of lifestyle that you want to live and so when we went to look for a place to study or to put our heads down and work really hard we thought, well, where where are the people in the world that are doing what we're doing at the level that we want to do it? And mm-hmm. and what kind of life are they living? And is that the kind of life that we want? And so we found, like, right now, she and I are, co- are copywriting, you know, as, as, as uh, we spoke about yesterday. And uh, we found that there were several copywriters in Chiang Mai that were doing very well for themselves, traveling around the world, uh, you know, running their clients really well and efficiently and making really good money. So we wanted to come rub shoulders with those guys, you know, and figure out how they did yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. So yesterday's talk for everyone who missed it, sorry about that, you have to be in Chiang Mai for it. <laughs> but it was uh, about how to how to attract, I guess, higher higher paid clients freelancing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the both of you do copywriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a third guy on the panel who is actually a web developer, mm-hmm. but he, I guess, also technically is a freelancer. Mm-hmm. So what's cool is every week what we've been doing is just in the group, we'll just say, hey, uh, what do you guys want to know this week? And mm-hmm. people will just randomly vote and say, uh, you know, freelancing, mm-hmm. uh, or someone wanted something about taxes, and someone else wanted Udemy courses, affiliate marketing, affiliate marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just every week has been different. Mm-hmm. And this week it was freelancing, and then all we say is, okay, you know who, you know who's making a full time living from this that can speak about it, mm-hmm. and just you know you, you, this guy, some other people just replied saying, hey, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're doing pretty well, happy to share. And what's so cool about it is. Instead of it having, you know, it being like a seminar style, we've we've made it into more of like an open-ended Q and A. It's like an AMA. Like, yeah. 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 You can ask me yeah. anything. Yeah. And no one's held anything back, Mm-mm. which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Like you know, people would literally could have asked you anything yesterday, and you would have just told them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And every week's been like that. Yeah. Like it's it, great. Yeah. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. Knowledge, knowledge sharing. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. 
so f for most weeks, usually there's like three people on the panel. I think the only time it was just me was that first week because it was I wasn't really sure how it was going to go yet. Yeah. And then last week, when people wanted specifically to know more about the way I do affiliate marketing, so it didn't make sense to have more than one person up there. Uh, but that video is actually completely live and up and it's free. So I'll, I'll link to that in this episode, which is episode 87. Um, Definitely worth a watch for sure. Yeah. Especially for anybody that has a blog or a personal property that wants to monetize it because a lot of people are lost on that subject. So, And what was really cool for me is I realized like what the actual audience for my courses, you know, it, and I realized it's not, it's not people who are specifically searching for affiliate marketing. It's for people who want to start a blog and figure out a way to monetize it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm going to actually kind of rebrand Ernest Affiliate a little bit to, to make that a little bit more clear. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. if you want to start a blog and you want to learn how to, how to make money from it, this is, this is the course. Yeah. yeah. You're looking for people who want a personal brand. You know, they want to increase their personal mm -hmm. brand somehow, whether they have a travel blog or, you know, they write about whatever. That's the kind of, that's your target market, I think. I got it. I like yeah. it. So you two used to work for, was it just you, Stephanie? Or it was or just me. Yeah. You worked for some type of affiliate yeah. company, <laughs> aka porn site. Yeah, I did. And, you know, it was, the one perk of it was that um, it was a great conversation starter at meetups. Um, most people <laughs> would not assume by looking at me that I worked for a gay black porn site oh um, you work in porn yeah <laughs> yeah they'd be like well you know i'd always have to like dance around the subject and you go to a meetup and people are like oh what do you do and i was like oh i work in uh affiliate marketing and they'd be like oh fantastic what kind of affiliate marketing and i'm like um adult affiliate marketing and they're like what do you mean and i'm like it's a porn site and they're like oh interesting <laughs> and then i'd have to explain that it's a gay black porn site and you know obviously i'm not the face of that so i mean most people would not assume that that's what i was doing to, but i was to yeah. be fair it was a tech startup it was a, a tech bookmarking site yeah, like a my, video bookmarking startup. i'm gonna go ahead that, and plug my vidster yeah, right yeah, now yeah. um my vidster uh i knew the so my Vitzer was run just by this guy, completely built on PHP. He did it out of like his basement, basically. And he built this video curation site to bookmark videos and collect them in one place. And uh, it just, the, it kind of spun out of his control a little bit. He found that people were bookmarking porn videos because there weren't any restrictions like you would have on YouTube. And so because of that, he decided to roll with it. And he found that specifically, they weren't just booking porn videos. They were booking gay black porn videos. And so he decided to to go to affiliate marketing and start monetizing off of that. Mm -hmm. And I was one of his first employees. So. Very nice. Yeah. So how did, how did he monetize these videos? So uh, he would sell ad space. He was having completely organic traffic. He wasn't doing any advertising. Um, and I don't so, think he does still. Yeah, he yeah. still doesn't do any advertising. He has over like a million users. He just crossed a million users uh, a few weeks ago. That's yeah. crazy. And yeah. how did he get... Uh, so I'm sure now that it's big, people people like verbally talk about it or people message about it. Well, within the community. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people outside <laughs> of like the gay black community don't really know about my vidster because he's not advertising. Mm -hmm. But it's very organic within the community that it caters to. So yeah. how do you think they actually got started with their like first couple thousand viewers? Um, you know, that's probably a better question for Marcus to answer. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I mean, has, did he ever tell you how... 
He said it was a slow start. He yeah, it was he built, a very. I know it was a very slow start. It wasn't like a, he it, built it not thinking a whole like that it was going to really take off, and he put a solid year into it, year and a half before it really started to hit. You know, it was, it was basically hockey stick growth. Um, <laughs> it started out really, really, <laughs> really, really stable, and then it just psh, shot yeah. up at the end like that. You know. So I'm not a subscriber of my vidster. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure Johnny two zero four five is one of the most. <laughs> Usernames on there. <laughs> well, was that when we walked into your apartment? Then? Yeah. <laughs> so I I assume um, the reason why it uh, it did so well is because it was just a a need. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he thought of something that you know wasn't really out there. There was no easy way to bookmark outside of just YouTube, mm-hmm. and he created a need. And then people found a need. They created a niche, and <clears throat> now he's like, all right, well, this is now my niche. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I also think like um, you know he. Because he's not like a super well-known porn site, uh, he doesn't have to deal with a lot of the bureaucratic bullshit just mm-hmm. yet. I mean, he's already been banned from like Google AdWords and stuff like that. But like he, for example, the MyVidster app is something that you can download here in Chiang Mai, and you can access all of the video content without having to deal with any weird firewalls or anything like that. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize this. Uh, porn is n- illegal in Thailand. Yeah. What really? Yeah, you can't access wow. PornCub. You can't access any porn sites here. How do you know this? What? <laughs> but uh, but my vidster, you can, and so it's still kind of under the radar, and it and he gets a lot of international traffic actually, because mm. you know Thailand's not the only country that's like that. There's a ton of countries that that prohibit porn, and because he's not technically a porn site, it works out. He gets a lot of traffic or right, I mean, traffic when, that way. When we connected in China, we couldn't even get on Facebook or no, or Google, Google or Google. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. it was insane. And it really is insane, and yeah. you know that's another reason why I don't like China. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you live there for a year. I, I loved China. I loved it. Yeah, I would go back in a heartbeat. Although, you know, you just get some good VPNs and you're fine. You don't have to yeah. worry. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, but no, it's true. The the I do like that Thailand's a little bit more, slightly more open on yeah. the internet. I, the only thing that's, the only two things that are blocked in Thailand is dailymail.co.uk which is, you know, basically, I don't know, I guess the Huffington Post. It's, it's a news curated okay. site from England. And I th- I'm pretty sure what happened was they posted some negative stuff about Thailand or the government or something. And uh-huh. they're like, all right, you guys are blocked. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that kind of like the Inquirer back in the U.S.? Like, it's kind of like trashy news. Like, it might be trashy news. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not from England, so I, I don't never, never actually read most of the articles. Okay. But, you know, a lot of times people, you know, a lot of these news sites now are more into clickbait. Okay. Than actual, yeah. Yeah. you know, well thought out news. So yeah. maybe they they wrote something they shouldn't have written. Maybe they, you know, maybe they were in the wrong. But every time I see somebody post a Daily Mail article on Facebook or something, I'll see comments that say, "Come on, man, this is from the Daily Mail. You don't, you can't take this seriously." Oh, is it? okay. You know that kind of yeah. a thing. But I don't know. I, I'm not obviously from the UK, but <laughs> yeah. All right. But yes, yeah, so yeah. that's blocked, and then <clears throat> all porn sites are blocked. Yeah. Uh, but you brought up a good point. You can use a VPN. Uh, yeah. I use Weetopia, uh, yeah. and it works fine. So. Yeah. We did some research just the other day because we wanted to get on some Amazon Instant. Am- yeah, Amazon Prime. We wanted to watch Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hand of God. Yeah, uh, great. Plug for that show. Yeah. Oh, my God. So uh, we are using private internet access. Okay. It's a very big player in the VPN space, and they have great servers, great speeds. We haven't had any problems with it at all. Mm-hmm. It's really okay. good. Yeah. I like it. So there's always workarounds, especially when you're out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that type of affiliate marketing is more just like ad-based where there's people... People put banner ads under the videos, mm-hmm. people click it, someone gets paid. Yeah. 
and I mean, there's tons of opportunities to do it as like a solo person too. Uh, you know, we were often dealing with people that were working just themselves. They were their own company mm -hmm. and they would find sites like my Vidster. They would figure out what demographic they needed to cater their ads to. Mm -hmm. And they would they would capitalize on that, and That's, so um, they would take out an ad on my Vidster mm -hmm. and send users from my Vidster to some exactly. you know, affiliate product or affiliate mm -hmm. site. Absolutely, yeah. the so adult you, space yeah. is a lot of opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know too much about it, but I imagine some people are making a lot of money. Yeah, they are, and actually, I, I tell this to people all the time who are interested in getting into the adult affiliate space. During my experience at my Vidster, I saw that um, really like the I feel like there's big money making opportunity with live chat rooms. Mm -hmm. We kind of talked about, yeah, we kind of talked about this last time, but uh, it's, it's just, you know, there's a lot of free porn on the internet. And so it gets harder and harder to convince people to pay for it. Um, and because of that, you know, when you have a live chat room where you're a viewer and you can, you feel involved and you feel like it's almost like a choose your own adventure, you know, you have like some kind of control over what's happening, the likelihood of you paying money increases substantially. That's something you'll pay for because you have like a direct hand in it. And the affiliate uh, programs associated with big sites like Chatterbait and live chat rooms and all sorts of stuff like that, they, they have great commission programs, like really great. You get, you get a kickback every time someone signs up, but you also get a kickback of anything they spend in the chat rooms. And so um, if I were to go into adult affiliate marketing tomorrow, that's what I would focus on. Yeah. Okay. We're actually looking at Periscope and the Meerkat craze right now mm -hmm. and how it's just taking, you can start a Periscope right now, have 30, 40 viewers on it without having any Twitter account, like any followers. She posted a, a okay. Periscope one night that just said, help me choose a Netflix movie. And she had 30 people, you know, instantly just okay. talking about Netflix movies. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, when, when I first saw that happening, I went, oh man, this is a great platform. If you wanted to be a Chatterbait affiliate or some kind of live cam porn affiliate, you take, you take that, uh, that audience that you can build on Periscope and Meerkat instantly without even having to have an audience. And you can funnel it into these chat programs because it's just a natural, you know, it's a natural way to do it. So it sounds like if, so let's say you're a good looking girl, you know, and mm -hmm. you're, you're traveling, you want to make some money. And you're like, okay, what can I do? Mm -hmm. You can go on Periscope. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, title it as something like, help me choose what to wear tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You'll get yep. 30 or 40 people on right away. Mm -hmm. And assuming you, you know, you're attractive, you're like, Maybe, you know... You know how to work the crowd. Work the crowd a bit. Yeah. You're like, oh, should I put on this shirt now? Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. Uh, guys are going to be interested. Yeah. And then in there, you would somehow mention like, oh, by the way, I'm on Chatterbait. Yeah. If you want to see more yeah. than just my closet. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. Is. <laughs> yeah you got to think of a good angle to get them off of Periscope and into onto your Chatterbait affiliate link. You know, you set up like a landing page that says like, I think I'm going to try this next week or something like that yeah. and have them sign up for Chatterbait. Okay. You, don't, you don't ever have to do it. You just got to get them to sign up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I guess I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of money actually working as a cam girl as well. Oh, yeah. Tons. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's decent. Uh, yeah, there's decent, but it's pretty competitive. And the mm -hmm. thing is, is like, um, you know, it really is personality based. Obviously, you have, to, you have to have talent just like you would have to have talent anywhere else. It's not even like you can get girls to do all sorts of crazy things on the Internet. But can you get someone who it will like engage with their viewer to the mm -hmm. point where they're smitten? You know, it's not about. I don't even think it's about how sexually talented you are. I think it's about your personality and can you talk and can you? Yeah. Are you interesting? Because you're basically working for tips. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you know, it's virtual tips. They they give you 
coins or something like that, and you get the lion's share of the coins, mm-hmm. and the the company or the affiliate gets the other share of the coin. Yeah. So. What's crazy is when I first got on the internet in like 1995, I was on AOL chat, and I would hang out in the you know, in whatever chat rooms, I remember one was like Bay Area Asians. <laughs> and I used to go on, you know, because I was bored. I wanted to interact with people. I wanted yeah. to meet people. What happened to chat rooms? They still have them. I mean, they still have them. It, I think they're more popular internationally than they are in the U.S. Mm-hmm. these it days. It got, got replaced by forums and social media. Yeah, social media is really what what really eclipsed it i think but you can still you can still do it um there are still chat rooms that you can have anonymous screen names Mm -hmm. and you can just chat with people and they'll like pair you up with someone random and you just start talking irc is still a thing and then they show you their dick (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's chat roulette that's still a thing yeah Yeah. you know actually i went on chat roulette with my best friend um a few years ago and no dicks were shown really shut up our test no way no (laughs) we thought two two girls like giggling every time someone new pops up on the camera for sure we're gonna get a dick nope nothing you know what maybe it is maybe like no dick that became so popular and that every guy was like okay i'm gonna I'm going to stop doing this because... Well, I think mostly they were just surprised to see that there were actually girls on the other end. I think people are so used to seeing dudes just whip their dick out that they're, like, terrified what the next (laughs) camera is going to bring. And then we would show up and they'd be like, oh my god, it's real girls! And then they would just get really excited that, like, nobody whipped it out, which is nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No idea this this talk was going to come here. Yeah. Rated R. You're going to have to put, like, a rated R on on this podcast. Well, technically, I don't think we've actually... like swore so I think yeah. it's actually okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is weird okay so what if you're not a good looking girl how can you get into that same space like you know you wouldn't be able to just make it like as a guy I can't make a periscope and then say hey guys check out this chatterbait site that I found you just gotta hire some girls yeah well, okay, so yeah that's the thing if you're not a good looking girl you would do what any guy would do to make money you know there's like no difference right so if you if you wanted to get into the affiliate space you would he would do what a guy would do. He would hire girls to, mm. to do this and be s- sort of serve as the middleman. And you would like just, a pimp. Yeah, yeah, you would be you would be the 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 woman pimp exactly. I like it. Uh, <laughs> um, so you're now not no longer in porn. No, I I well I was never in porn. Can I make that distinction on this podcast? I was never in the porn. <laughs> Stephanie Saltry. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be like the last name of the street. It's like the street you grew up on. Yeah, like what the is name your of your name? first pet. Mine would be Spiky Erie. Mine's Stone Willie. Oh, what's yours? Uh, Mika Vicente. Oh, exotic. Be sure there's a porn star named Mika. So. Yeah. <laughs> Got the new Asa Akira here. Yeah. Asa Akira. All right. So now that you're out of yeah the adult industry, yeah. uh, wh- what are you two doing now, and how'd you get into it? Do you want to start? What was I doing when you were in the adult industry? Um, I don't even remember. Oh, you were like selling vacuum cleaners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was running an Amazon business. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, right now we're both actually doing kind of the same thing. We're freelance copywriting. So I've been a freelancer off and on between entrepreneurial ventures for the last eight years. And uh, I was kind of a jack of all trades doing freelancing, consulting, and like graphic design, web design, um, 
you know, content strategy, writing, ghost writing content for people, doing a little bit of copywriting, stuff like that. And I was just all over the map. And then recently I decided to niche down into copywriting and actually Stephanie had kind of the same revelation. She loves writing and niche down into copywriting as well. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't as all over the map as Taylor was. I'd always been involved in writing. Uh, but I was doing, I found myself doing a lot of social media and that's its own beast, but, um, the being a social media community, community manager, unfortunately, is just not as valued in the marketplace as far as compensation goes, mm-hmm. you know, they tend to work for pretty low wages. And so I, I just wanted to take it up to the next level and find a specific niche within writing that people were willing to pay pretty well for. And that's the thing, like copywriting is writing designed to sell or designed to get some kind of information from you, whether it's to get your email address or it's to get the money in your bank account. And people are willing to pay for that. They're willing to pay higher wages for that. That makes sense. I've actually met a lot of girls in, here in Chiang Mai who are social media managers. Mm-hmm. And I think the problems with their jobs is that they're, they either are getting overpaid or underpaid. There's almost nothing in between. And mm-hmm. when, when I say that, I mean, the all the people who have been overpaid, it's because a company was like, well, I guess I need a social media manager. Mm-hmm. You know, we should probably do this thing. Yeah. We don't really know what to pay, so here's here's some money. Mm-hmm. And what happens is pretty much every single one of those girls I met had, you know, they kind of just coasted by. They probably didn't do that much work. They probably didn't actually add that much value to the, the company or not enough to, to mm-hmm. justify what they're paying. Mm-hmm. And after a few months, they got fired. Or mm-hmm. that position just got terminated. Well, that's yeah. the thing. Like uh, That was another thing about social media is that social media is really a long-term plan. Mm-hmm. It's a long-term game plan. You know, if you're going to invest in social media and pushing out great content, the chances that you're just going to you put up a Facebook page and you push out a few posts in that first week that that's going to directly link to sales is not how that works. Mm-hmm. You have to build a community mm-hmm. and that takes a lot of time and most people when they're paying someone to increase their sales don't have the patience they to the wait. ROI yeah, to that. wait to see that return on investment. So It also takes a good strategy. Like so many people do social media wrong. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. And so when you're trying to convince someone of the value that you bring to the company and you work in social media, it's really hard to be like, but this person liked my post Mm -hmm. and we saw that they eventually visited the site even though it didn't directly result in a sale. The chances are, I mean, the truth is is like if someone likes a Facebook post, they're thinking about the company, the company's top of mind, there's a chance like months down the road, when it comes down to it, they'll choose your company simply because they like your Facebook page and they like what you're pushing out. But it's hard to track that. Mm Whereas with copywriting, copywriting is very trackable. You know, you see exactly the open rate on your, your emails that you're creating. And you see, you can, it's pretty easy to track whether someone clicked on a link within, within an email and then made, made the sale. Uh, and so because of that... Um, or opts in your email list. Yeah, or, or opts you know, into your email list or anything. For, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Companies are, are willing to, to spend money on a great copywriter. I could absolutely see that. And I was going to say the other side of... Of social media is the people that are getting underpaid mm-hmm. where they you know let's say they, they do this do this fantastic campaign a lot of times with that same amount of work they could have just created their own brand mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah. you know obviously they wouldn't be working for like let's say you know coca-cola or something but let's say like a personal brand uh and with that same amount of work they could be making a ton more money yeah you know? so i almost don't think that like people with those skills would even want to stay in social media for that long. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, that's like my... Uh, I'll plug a company now. My old um, roommate, uh, uh, Joe, he he started an e-commerce... Well, he bought an e-commerce site that sells, like, female alternative clothing, like, corsets and things. Mm-hmm. 
and he started it with his girlfriend and his girlfriend and he and him uh, went into the Facebook side, the social media side of things and they took it from like, I don't know, 30 or 40,000 likes or something. You did a little bit of work for them yeah, at, one, yeah. at one point. 30 to 40,000 likes to like 300,000 No, I think they're likes. over 400,000 likes now on their Facebook yeah. page and a lot of their sales come directly from social media. Um, you know, it's a, a very, very good portion of their business. And, you know, it, somebody that did that same thing, like you said, for another company would be worth its weight in gold. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times they get super underpaid. They just don't, you know, they don't know how to charge for it or the company just doesn't value it as much as they should. And that's the, yeah. and that's the thing. They're just not, they're not getting paid well enough. And so people do tend to abandon that. And, um, you know, and like, it's true. The minute I switched from social media to copywriting, I immediately, within my first client, I immediately doubled the amount of money I was making, doubled my salary. I didn't go and increase, I doubled it. Like that's how, and I was starting out in copywriting and I was able to double it, you know, which just shows you just the difference right there. I've heard some crazy stories about how people will pay like $100,000 or even $10,000 for a sales page. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah. I mean, some of these, um, like the great copywriters that, you know, you, you study when you first break into copywriting, they're the money that they were making back in like the 1950s it's is still substantial amount of money now you know they were making they were doing like million dollar contracts and they would get uh copywriters t usually the more successful you become they charge by the percentage mm -hmm. so you know they're just like hey i'm gonna write you this copy and i want a percentage of the amount of money that it ends up converting or they'll jv on something yeah you know they'll jv on it, like a joint venture on a product and and you a get a big enough client or... you get a big enough client that can equal some buku bucks like mm -hmm. big money so you know, that's not something you see in social media. That yeah. doesn't happen. I often tell, like, people say, why do you, why wouldn't you do affiliate marketing? Or since you know so much about affiliate marketing, how come you don't do affiliate marketing? I said, and my response to that now, now that I'm into copywriting as deep as I am, is that I would rather be a copywriter for affiliate marketers. Screw the affiliate marketing. Affiliate marketing is like, in the general sense, like CPA campaigns, running ads, doing, you know, ad buys and solo ads and stuff like that. It's a roller coaster ride. You, you could do $10,000 a day. And the next day your income shuts off, you know, and that's just the world that you have to deal with when you're an affiliate marketer. But if you're a copywriter, you can have 10 different affiliate marketer clients that you're writing their sales pages for and taking five, 10% of sales or something like that. And you can study your income out and make a very good living over time. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, I, I think that's a different way to attack the same, the same world. <laughs> and you're, you're also handing over a tangible product. So there's a strict beginning and an end to the work that you do. Whereas like if you're running a campaign, whether it's a social media campaign or it's an affiliate campaign, the work doesn't really end. You know, you you have to be checking in all the time. You know, you have to constantly be adapting and doing all this. It's just, it, it can be a, a time commitment. Yeah, I could definitely see that because either you'd be working hourly or like a set yeah. wage, it's just an end. But if, you, if you're doing sales page, you're like, okay, well, this is it. Yeah, yep. you shoot it over and you're yeah. like, all right, this Let is Let me know when you, want yeah. to, when you want to test a new version of it. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And I also do like how you brought up that people can track the R ROI. Mm -hmm. So let's say I wanted, so right now on my, on my course, Earnest Affiliate, I have one page that people will see when, when they get to it. Mm -hmm. I can very easily set it up so it'll show on an alternative page. Yes. Yeah. And whichever, and the metrics are there. I can see, okay, this one converts higher. This one makes more sales. So I should use that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. we can test a third one but like okay well is this one better than the second one yeah the only reason why I personally haven't done it and actually so I'm curious what like what your thoughts are on this mm -hmm. for me I'm like I know I can make my both my sales page I guess my so the actual page the video on it 
and then the email autoresponder are much more salesy and convert better. So I can make more, a lot more money if I did that. Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, kind of knowing what works makes it feel so impersonal and almost it, it feels like such a hard sell. And I just personally cannot get myself to do that. That's interesting. Uh, so I would argue that um, great copywriting that converts does not mean that you have to become less personal and that you have to become more salesy, actually. Mm-hmm. Great copywriting is based completely on just catering to like basic human needs. And that's a very personal thing. You know, if you can connect with someone on one of their basic human needs, if you can, if you're trying to sell like gun control courses or something, you're trying to show people how to like shoot guns and hunting, then you're gonna write in such a way that like caters to a demographic that wants to protect their family, you know, cause that's a basic human instinct is, is protecting. And so you're gonna use psychological words, you're gonna choose the right words, you're gonna speak in a tone of voice that actually connects with them very easily, mm-hmm. that you're gonna speak their language and then they're gonna trust you and they're gonna trust your product. Um, the only the only time it becomes shady is if your product is not great, right? Then it's then it's weird. But being able to use copywriting to like speak the language of the person that you're talking to and cater to them and get them to understand what you're trying to say, I don't think that's like impersonal at all. That definitely makes sense. And I actually think as long as my product is good, and I don't want to make any weird you know claims about you know what's inside. I don't care why, why they sign up. As long as when they sign up, they're like, okay, this is an awesome product. So yeah, I'm, and glad, I'm glad I was convinced yeah. to buy it. Yeah. It's almost like, um, isn't it kind of like your duty if you have a great product to convince as many people to experience it as possible, you know? And yeah. if you have to use great copywriting methods to do that, if that helps you, I mean, yeah, that's great for you. You're selling more of your product. But if you have a great product and it changes people's lives and it helps them pursue their dreams, then that's even a better reason to... Have better copywriting. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Uh, so what's funny is, flash even just the podcast itself, there are little tips and tricks I can do to, to get more downloads, more user engagement, and just boost this up in the rankings. Mm-hmm. And one of them would be, at the end of this podcast, I'll you know after I've known what we talked about, I can edit together some sound bites, or even just have me say, hey everyone, if you stick to the end of this episode. You you you'll, you gotta hear what Simon uh, Stephanie Simon's porn name is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that'll get people to listen to yeah. the whole episode. <laughs> but I just don't want to do that. I just like yeah. I feel like personally that is, I'd rather I almost live in this ideal world where I think my listeners know that every episode is gonna have some golden nuggets that they're really gonna enjoy it. That they're gonna listen to the whole episode regardless if I put these like stay till the end to find out you know uh, little easter eggs in the front mm-hmm. sure yeah. uh, do you have any thoughts on that I have a thought on that but I'll let you go my, first my main thought is that um, your audience is listening to you and, and likes you for a reason already and it's okay for you to ask them to do things and they're not gonna like hate on you for it you know like it, I understand what you're saying and it's really hard sometimes to get over that like I don't want to ask, you know, I don't want to like, it sounds so cheesy or salesy to ask, but as long as you just do it in your way, be Johnny, you know, be Johnny FD and be the guy that they listen to all the time. They're not going to hate on you for, for saying, Hey, I really want you to stick around till the end of the episode. And you'll be surprised. Like when you ask for something, your audience will give it to you a lot of times. You yeah. Know, if you as- really want some, some kind of engagement to happen, just ask for the engagement. If you're, um, if you're providing value, then asking something from your audience is okay. 
you know, it's absolutely fine. I, I find that, in fact, when you're creating a really great autoresponder campaign, you want to make sure that you're asking from the start. You're just, you want to establish that this is a relationship where I'm providing you value. I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch my back a little bit. Like, let's help each other out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you wait too late to ask, like, it just, I don't know. It, I feel like it becomes less effective. I like it. So on that note, if you guys are on an iPhone, (laughs) you can click the podcast app, search for Travel Like a Boss Podcast, and you can give this podcast a five-star review in the app. (laughs) So I'm excited for that. Or if you have a Mac, I guess you you could log into the iTunes uh, application and give it a review. How do you do it on Android? You know what? I don't know how to do it on Android. I I think, I mean, I'm sure it'll still help if uh, someone was on, like, actually, what do you listen to podcasts on on your Android? Uh, I actually haven't started doing it on Android yet. We we usually download ours for like car trips and stuff, and we. I listen to mine on an iPhone. I usually have Stephanie download all the podcasts, and then <laughs> we plug it into the car and listen to it on car trips and things like that. So, I think on an Android, they would have to use an app like Stitcher or mm-hmm. you know, Podbean or whatever it is. Yeah. And then on there, they'll have their own rating system. And I definitely think you know that'll still help. So I do appreciate that people did that. Yeah. But I think iTunes is like kind of the the spot where it, that'll make or break your podcast yeah mm-hmm. you know everything else is kind of just like um like a bonus yeah mm-hmm. but you know that is one thing that i do need do need more of because i'm looking at my ratings and it's because it's such a pain in the butt to actually leave a review on itunes and people just don't think of it because i never asked for it uh every month you know it's only maybe let's say two or three reviews per month when that could be a lot more because there's like 20,000 downloads a month. Yeah. Well, you know what would be interesting is um, incentivizing it in a really cool way, like saying, go leave me a five-star review, and in the review, um, vote for what you want to hear me talk about in the next podcast. Or in the review, raise your hand as somebody who maybe I should interview in the next podcast or something like that. Like, give your give your users some interaction in return okay. for the review, maybe. When you guys leave a review, make sure <laughs> you nominate who you want as a guest, and I'll do my best to get them on. There you go. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah. So I mean, you know what? Here's, here's a crazy thing about this whole online world mm-hmm. is there are so many ways to make more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so many like mental blocks that we have. I think so when we, when we get started making that first hundred dollars is the hardest part mm-hmm. and then as you said with freelancing you know getting what you're worth or doubling your rate is so hard to do mm-hmm. but at the same time the ceiling is so freaking high yeah I mean when like when you started freelancing you you, you said in your in your talk yesterday how much did you start charging per hour and what do you and what would you charge per hour now and what's like the maximum someone's making an hour um, so I was just breaking in brand new. I didn't have a portfolio when I first started. And um, I used Upwork.com to kind of build that portfolio. And uh, I used a very like scientific method to start increasing my hourly rate. I, even though I was getting paid like way more than this, I went and I just I priced myself like <laughs> like Bangladeshi rates, like three dollars, <laughs> like five dollars an hour. I was like, okay, I'm gonna put myself at five dollars an hour. But I also offered a money back guarantee if they didn't like my work, and I promised them, you know, oh sorry, 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 I forget. <laughs> I promised them that as a that I was, you know, a native English speaker, which is a great thing that you want to make sure you mention on your Upwork profile if you are a native English speaker. And I was just like, I'll do work for you at this rate, and I 
I had an incentive. I said, you know, I'm obviously way more qualified than the rate that I'm charging right now, but I'm trying to build a portfolio. That's your incentive to hire me right now and help me build that portfolio quickly. And so I got clients right away and I had this, it was wonderful. I was able to like get my five-star reviews. I delivered incredible value mm -hmm. even at that bargain rate. And then I was like, okay, now that I've got some reviews under my belt, I can double this and then I can triple this and quadruple this and then just keep going. So let's fast forward two years from today and September 2017, mm -hmm. what do you think you'd be worth it per hour? God, you know, I hope I can reach the point where, um, well, I say I don't like to think of on an hourly basis, okay. but I'd like to be getting paid like a couple thousand, three thousand maybe a week just doing um, a set amount of work and I wouldn't be getting tracked hourly. Like that's the goal. Okay. Um, I'm like a third of the way there. Okay. But, uh, you know, I would like to... I thought that's where I would like to be just like a yeah mm -hmm. and you know maybe I'm thinking small mm -hmm. that's the thing like I, I should be thinking even grander than that because the truth matters is there are copywriters that are making bigger bank than that what like so the the top copywriters how much are they making uh you hear numbers thrown around a lot like in the Dan Kennedy's you know world and stuff you know those type of guys um charging minimums like if you want to work with them the contract needs to be 25 or fifty thousand dollar minimum for mm -hmm. for the contract and then you also have to throw a little uh you know butter on top uh some kind of revenue share on whatever whatever it is they're doing the job for um it's not uncommon to see a copywriter of that caliber make you know several hundred thousand up to you know a million dollars on a, on a contract based on sales and contract alone so it gets me curious that person that's hiring Dan Kennedy, how much is he making from that product he's selling? You hear a lot, like in the copywriting world, we have a friend actually back home um, who comes top of mind for this, Neville. Uh, he he always preaches 10x. You know, you always want to like 10x. Whoever you're working for, if, you, if you're not confident that you can 10x whatever it is they're trying to do, whether it's opt-ins or, or dollars, um, then you shouldn't be taking the contract. You know, that's that's your goal. So... If that is, if you want to use that as like a baseline, because that's kind of the mantra that I've adopted now, is like if I want to, whatever I'm doing for somebody, I want to be able to really show big results, mm -hmm. right? Something on a magnitude higher than whatever it is that, you know, when I tackled it, it needs to be a lot bigger. The metrics need to show more. more. Um, so if you, if you translate that to the Dan Kennedy world or the big, you know, the big hotshot copywriter world, if they're doing a $100,000 contract, they're making their client a million bucks. That's awesome. That's so, where I want to get. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that is my goal. Right? <clears throat> September 2017, mm -hmm. I'd like to have a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's the goal. Yeah. We're talking US dollars, not bot, US right? dollars. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I mean, this is a, this is crazy, but uh, when I decided I wanted to, my goal was to be a Thai millionaire, uh -huh. which was at the time about 30,000 US. Uh -huh. In my mind, it sounded just as outrageous as being a US millionaire. Yeah. It, it was such a big stretch because I had like a couple hundred bucks in my account and I wasn't making that much. And I was so used to just living as cheaply as possible. The idea of saving up $30,000 in the bank to me was like, it was such a big feat. You know? Yeah. Like that it wasn't going to be possible. And as soon as I hit that, I realized, man, like, okay, if I can hit 50,000. And I remember thinking, because I was in Vietnam at the time I was in Saigon, I was like, I want to be a Vietnamese dong billionaire, <laughs> <laughs> which is 50 grand. Uh -huh. And I was like, man, if I can get that, I'll be so freaking happy. Right. And when I hit that, I didn't even, I don't even think I wrote a blog post. I don't even think I celebrated. I was just like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm there now. I'm like, now what? Like, yeah. 
Then I was like, okay, a hundred grand. Yeah. And then now I was like, oh, you know what? Million. Yeah. Like, like I'm not, I think I've stopped trying to, to inch up now. Yeah. You know, I'm like, okay. Cause I realized if you can go from pretty much zero to 30 and then, then 30 to 50 was, is, is logically very easy. Mm-hmm. And then from 50 to hundred logically would be easy. So I'm like thinking, well, why, sh- why set a small goal? Why, why be like, okay, now I want to have 200,000. Like, why not just say, okay, what's the big goal? What's yeah. the 10X goal? Yeah, right. open the floodgates. Earlier you said it's so hard as a freelancer to double, triple your rate. Mm-hmm. And you're right. But the only reason that that statement is true is because of your mindset. Mm-hmm. Assuming you have the skill and assuming you have um, the knowledge to deliver the kind of value that we're talking about doubling or tripling your rate or making a million dollars or making a hundred million dollars is all mindset, right? It's all, it's all, that's the only thing holding you back is realizing there are clients out there that are willing to pay double or triple your rate. There's, there's clients out there willing to pay 10 X your rate. You have to go find those clients and then you have to find a way to deliver value to those clients. And that's it. That's all it takes. That absolutely makes sense. Cause yeah. I remember when I had a job, I was thinking, you know, I was making $5 and 15 cents an hour. And then when I got a, uh, I think as soon as I started making ten dollars an hour, I was like, "Man, I've made it! Like, yeah. this, is it. <laughs> this is it!" But I would hear sometimes, you know, of people that made twenty dollars an hour. I was like, "There's no freaking way! Who's gonna pay you twenty dollars an hour? That's yeah. so much money!" Right. And now I charge a hundred and fifteen an hour for coaching mm-hmm. for either through Skype or in person, someone's here in Chiang Mai. And I, th- I think I actually put that number up there because I was like. I actually don't want to spend my time doing this because it's a lot of effort. Yeah. You know, and in that hour I can be doing my own project and I could probably make that much or more, uh, but doing my own thing where I don't want to do it. And so I put that number out there and it's crazy that, you know, probably once a month or twice a month, someone's like, okay, I'll, that's what it's, you know, that's what he charges. I'm going to get value from it. So I'll, I'll pay for it. Yeah. And actually right after this in about, uh, 40 minutes I'm meeting a guy at a coffee shop <laughs> who just signed up for two hours wow and never in my life did I think I can get away with charging over $100 an hour and actually have it be a value and that's yeah. why actually people not only sign up for it but I don't feel bad doing it because to be honest I almost when he signed up and I was like oh man I'm so busy today I have so many things to do and I'm going to Copenhagen tomorrow and I was like I don't really want to take an hour out of my day to do this so guaranteed by next year or two like I'm gonna be one of those I don't want to say those a-holes but those people <laughs> who like charge like $500 an hour yeah. because they just don't have the time to to sit down with people mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> it's crazy I started out when I first started freelancing toying with freelancing back between uh, businesses or startups or whatever back in 2007 I set my initial rate I think if I remember correctly, at like $25 an hour. And I, I got a lot of like graphic design clients at that rate. I did, did pretty well. I delivered good work. Not, not necessarily any better or worse work than I do now, you know, if I were to do a graphic design contract. But I think today, uh, if I were, I don't work hourly, but if I were to break my project rates down into hourly, it would probably hover somewhere around 140, 150 an hour, something like that. Um, and I just told this story yesterday at the, at the freelance talk. I recorded a video for one of my ideal clients who I love a lot and I do a lot of work for. And I recorded a video of previous work that I had done in the last few weeks because I thought, man, this work would be really great for this ideal client of mine. I think if I did this for him, he'd get a ton of value out of it. So I recorded a quick video 
of uh, showing him what I had done for these other clients and why I think it would be a good idea for him to do it as well and hire me to do it. And I basically made it like a package deal and I sent it over to him and said, hey, look at this. I think you should check it out. I think you should do it and I'll charge you like three grand or something to do it. It's, I, I priced it at three grand. And uh, <laughs> before I even had a chance to follow up with him, three of his buddies you know, saw the video he sent the link without my permission to friends because <laughs> he's a big influencer or whatever. And they got in touch with me. And when I finally did follow up with him, he said, listen, I want to hire you. You're right. I want this. And so we're working on the contract right now. And he said, but I think you're undercharging me. And I have three or four guys that I know will do this deal with you, but I want you to double your rate. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a, I'll take double the rate to these guys and tell them that that's what you'll do it for. So, there you, go. you know, and I love it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just a mindset thing. You know, it's just total mindset. So I'm curious, uh, the video, was it like unlisted on YouTube or how'd you send it? I sent it through Dropbox. Okay. Yeah. So lately what I've been doing for clients for like explainer videos, like if I do a project for them and I want to explain like why I did something or show them how something works uh, or, or talk them through a piece of copy that I wrote or something, I'll do a screen share. I'll do like a, a small window of me on webcam in the corner and then a screen share on like Windows Expression Engine or something like that. And then I'll just save it to Dropbox encoded in WMV format and send the Dropbox link to my client. And Dropbox actually has a video player where it'll play. And so I thought that was kind of private. Like mm. nobody will find this on YouTube. You have to have the link to, to show it. But of course, you know, I send the link to somebody and he forwards the email to three other people. So that's cool. I, I think that's yeah. a great idea actually. And you know, it, in hindsight, that worked out perfect for you, even though that wasn't the intention. Wasn't the intention at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, people send me videos sometimes too, and I love it. Uh -huh. uh, I think the only the only one I hated was <laughs> this guy made me. So it would have been okay if it was one video, but for whatever reason, his phone would only record like thirty seconds at a time. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so he sent me like eight back-to-back -back videos. Oh no! Oh no! But I felt so bad because he put in all this effort to do it, and he had such like a. Like this story that his, you know, that he was living with his parents in Canada, and they, like, they wanted to kick him out in a month if he didn't make something happen. He didn't want to do, and it was just, you know. So I watched every one of the videos. But I was like, man, this wow. would have been a million times easier if it wasn't chopped up like this. Yeah. So the Dropbox video would have been great, and also, um, unlisted YouTube works fantastic. Yeah. Oh, does it? I it wanted to tell people not to make private YouTube because of cases like this where. You know, they do want to send it to a friend who might also you know, help you as well. Sure. You might get another client for her. But also mainly because not everybody's email account is going to be associated with, you know, that YouTube account. So, like, let's say you send it to, you know, to my, my at Johnny FD, but then my YouTube account is a Gmail account. I think I can't even watch it. Yeah. And yeah. you're just going to get that, you know, that message archived because people can't get to it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the reasons I've loved Dropbox so much for video sharing is that uh, once I encode the video into my Dropbox folder, I don't have to go through the YouTube uploader. I don't have to do any extra steps. Plus, I can revoke access to the video easily by just taking it out of that folder mm -hmm. and it just, you know, deletes it off the web. So, it's kind of cool. That I way. like it. Yeah, it's really good. Well, Stephanie and Taylor, I'm really glad you two came on the show. Yeah. yeah thank uh, you how, for inviting us. Yeah, very welcome. Uh, if they need a kick-butt copywriter, how can they find both of you? Uh, right now, I can be reached through my... Well, let's see. What's the best way? I do a lot of stuff privately right now, but I've been setting up a domain, taylorwest.me. T-A-Y-L-O-R west.me. It's got like a draft sales page up that I was just joking around with. It's kind of a funny one for like private clients, but mm -hmm. 
you could uh, hit the link there and email me or schedule like a, a call with me if you want um, that way. How about you? Uh, email. I usually just um, respond really well to email. So stephanie.n is in Nicole dot simon zero one at gmail.com stephanie dot n dot simon okay i'll, I'll put zero one at gmail.com yeah okay i'll put both of these on the show notes in case anyone wants to contact you and then did you mention that you had a blog um i'm i'm in the process of revamping it so uh it'll be when i finish it it'll be at taylormetric.com uh we'll do and then i think everyone's looking forward to that austin versus Chiang Mai. Post. yeah i think i'm gonna do that i think that's kind of how i'm gonna restart the blog I, I i've been really inconsistent with my blog over the years it's just i get distracted start a business whatever and yeah. i stop writing so i have weird stuff on there i have like startup posts from back when i was working in the startup industry in austin to like you know life posts about hitting rock bottom i mean i have all kinds of stuff on there so but well it'd be uh, good to have you uh launch that again so yeah i hope so yeah we'll see yeah. all right well, good hangout with both of you. Uh, everyone, thank you for leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right, and I'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, How to Choose the Perfect Niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.